So welcome to Solar Power Northeast. I'm Boaz Soifer, I'm the CEO of Bewa RE Solar Systems, and we're a wholesale distributor um, headquartered in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but Bewa RE is a, a global company that does uh, both distribution and project development, solar and wind, um, and is in the O&M business in Europe as well. SPNE is organized by the Solar Energy Industries Association and by Smart Electric Power Alliance. And before we get started, I wanna recognize the event sponsors and exhibitors who support this opportunity for such a wide variety of stakeholders to come together for the benefit of the solar industry. I also wanna mention the event organizers also asked me to remind you to fill out the eval um, in the app, um, either you know, any time during the event so they can use your feedback to improve future events. Our panel today is titled Key Pillars of Running a Healthy Solar Business. And in preparing for the panel, a theme that emerged, which will be no surprise to anyone in the solar industry, is how quickly things change and how important it is to manage that change more effectively uh, for organizations. So our goal today is to talk about some of the major changes that um, our company's experience and also our constituent companies, um, customers and vendors um, experience as well. And um, also how we see solar companies navigating those changes. Uh, th that's um, becoming a more and more critical issue. Um, our panelists represent solar contracting, um, solar financing and digital marketing companies. So we have a really deep cross section of industry experience to draw on. Um, we are going to leave um, hopefully 10 minutes at the end of the session uh, to uh, ask questions and um, we'll be doing that old school without an app because that is a type of change we have not learned to manage yet. Um, so I would like it if our panelists would um, please introduce yourselves and maybe you could also talk a little bit about um, what changes are top of mind for you in 2019. Yeah, good morning. Uh, my name is Stephanie Benini. I'm the director of sales at SunGage Financial. Uh, we're a residential solar loan company based right here in Boston. Um, so nice quick walk over this morning. Um, we have a lot of change um, ourselves going on, our partners, of course. Um, you know, some big changes uh, we're actually going through. We've actually just recently expanded our management team um, and brought on a new CEO and a new COO, um, a new director of marketing who's starting today. Um, so there's no shortage of change internally for us. Um, and our partners experience so much of this too. So folks who are, um, you know, residential solar uh, integrators, installers, salespeople, there's just so much going on, um, you know, and, at the beginning of the year, it's no surprise, we have a lot of conversations with people trying to understand how are they planning for the year, what are they planning on doing, how are they thinking about things, and folks are already starting to talk about how towards the end of the summer, early fall, they're going to be sold out for the 30% ITC, which is crazy to think about, um, but coming up. So lots of changes going on day to day here in Massachusetts. We've had a lot of change with the incentive programs, um, you know, throughout the Northeast that's happened. And now the ITC is changing as well. So lots and lots of change to manage. Yep. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Peter. 
Good. Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm Peter Trost. Thank you all for choosing this session and coming here. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Energy Circle. We're a um, uh, uh, marketing uh, lead, lead <coughs> um, generation company that focuses entirely and exclusively on what we call the better building sector. So uh, primarily uh, contractors and installers that are doing solar, that are doing efficiency work, uh, primarily in residential homes. So that's our, that's our niche. And um, uh, you know, I am both a, a small business person. My company has 30 people. Uh, our client base sort of skews from maybe a $2 million company to a $50 million company, but more on the small side. And so this has been an interesting topic to talk about. I think uh, for me a little bit and, and for a lot of folks, you know, you say the words uh, change management and digital transformation and you get the kind of dog look of, you know, what are you, what are you talking about here? Whereas I think the, the real story, and I had a great conversation earlier today with a great uh, installer from Maine who, you know, asking the question about digital transformation, you know, he said, well, uh, I'm not sure what that means, but have you got an alternative for me for Salesforce because it's really driving me crazy, you know? So, so a lot of it is that sort of day-to-day -day reality of, of uh, uh, you know, choosing software and making this digital transformation, right? We're all on the road somewhere. We all have phones, so we're all digital at a certain level. How far, how far down are we, so? Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. My name is Lamara Darbaloff, and I work for Sunbug Solar. We're a contractor here in Mass. It's very cool. Um, I am an employee owner of the company, and I'm also the procurement manager, so I personally handle all of the ordering of major PV equipment for residential and commercial projects, and I coordinate getting all of that material to the job sites. Um, as a solar contractor, we see change constantly, <laughs> whether it's with safety regulations with OSHA or staying compliant with the National Electric Code, um, known as the NEC, um, or just trying to stay up to date with the rapidly evolving and changing equipment and technology. I'm sure all of you know <laughs> what that struggle is like. Um, but as a contractor, our main goal is to stay really flexible. We have to be flexible in this industry and work with those changes so that they don't work against us and interrupt our business flow. Great, thank you, Lamara. So uh, maybe we could start with talking about change management a little more specifically. And um, Stephanie, um, do you have a way that you um, define and talk about change management at SunGage and, and um, how do you guys uh, deal with change there? Yeah, so <laughs> I feel like every week we learn a lesson on this topic. Um, you know, some base things, we have a weekly project meeting where we're going through all the initiatives. Um, you know, we're, we're a small company, we're about 60 people, um, but I'm sure most of you can all relate. 60 people is small, it should be easy to communicate, but it isn't always. People work remotely, people are uh, on the road. Um, there's a lot to it. and. I think one of the key pillars that we continue to uh, to learn um, every time we maybe forget the lesson, uh, something drives it home for us. Um, planning is really, really important. Um, it's no surprise. And in solar, things change so rapidly that I, I think often we get into a really reactive state. Um, but 
talking about change, having open conversations with folks, um, and thinking about how you're going to affect change is really important or how to adapt to it. Um, you know, being able to take key folks along in the business. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, you're, you're driving change, you're planning for it, and making sure to take everybody along is really a big step. Um, you know, that sometimes we start trying to move really fast to adapt really fast, um, because you have to in the industry. Um, but when you don't have some really good bare bones processes in place and some planning and um, even just putting time on the calendar to deal with it, I think is a big thing. So a lot of those foundational things that just seem so simple but are the easiest ones to skip over, I think we continually find um, that they're just so important to actually being able to to have effective change. Um, you know, when you don't plan and people at the last minute are saying, wait, I didn't know what was going on or I don't know how this works, you actually, you know, you lose efficiency. So I think that planning piece, really good foundations um, and having a process are, are so key. Having a process for change. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to piggyback on that. I yeah. mean, uh, at Sunbug, communication is key. We. Uh, you know, internally in the office, we call it our sneaker net. So instead of the internet, it's sneaker net. <laughs> um, anytime something might be changing in any department, we use our sneaker net, right? So if something is changing in the procurement world and I need to communicate that to sales, I'm just gonna go over to them and handle it really quickly and kind of tweak our process or maybe the way we think about that change moving forward, and we'll just communicate that together and say, okay, this is how we're gonna do it now moving forward. There's no interruption in inefficiency. Uh, we try to keep that business as usual flow anytime we encounter that, so very similar. Mm -hmm. We slack the person sitting next to us. We do that too. <laughs> <laughs> The communication piece is really important. Sometimes we found, um, you know, in, on the sales side, we need or want to make a change and we don't think it'll affect anybody else. And then there's always the surprise that it does. So um, for us at Sungage, our weekly project meetings have become really, really important. Um, they're a chance for people along the way to raise their hand and mention any effect that they see. Um, you know, sometimes just uh, very simple operations things. Our operations team won't really know how that might affect our partners in the field, so the sales voice is there. Um, and it's become a really good sanity check process for us where we can dig up those things that could derail you later on. Great, thank you. Uh, Peter, um, so uh, change management is one buzzword and digital transformation is another. Can you talk a little more about um, what digital transformation means in your organization or in your constituents and yeah. say a little more about knowing how far down the road we are to use your phrase. Yeah, good, good question. Um, so, I, you know, I think of uh, digital transformation in, in two realms, right? One is, uh, you know, is the means by which we are acquiring customers, right? That's, that's uh, uh, obviously critical. It's what our company lives and breathes, um, you know, every single day. But what I am very often drawn into are the challenges that our client companies have with, um, you know, with essentially choosing software, right? And so, uh, uh, making those decisions about, you know, how to how to how to deal with CRM, and, that, and that's a, a huge question that I'm constantly getting: is, you know, what should I be using for CRM? And I, I, 
my take on the world today is that I, I like this notion that you know we're all on the on the road down the you know towards digital transformation in some fashion. It's just a question of how far down the road we are, and I think we're living in an era in which some of those decisions don't have the magnitude that they used to. And I think, you know, the famous example is Sungevity and, you know, now 11 years ago was going to transform the solar industry by having desktop quotes, right? And spent millions of dollars, you know, put, took all their chips and put them on this one thing, millions of dollars to develop this software, which even before they stopped being in business, they no longer were using, right? And, and, uh, and that was a huge bet and one that was a very costly bet uh, in some fashion if you didn't, you know, if you didn't use it. And so, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, building your own software, you know, talk about a big, you know, a big push of all the chips in one place. That's a, a huge effort and expense, uncertainty as to whether or not success is going to be had at the end versus saying, you know, you don't need Salesforce for CRM. Try Insightly, try Zoho. They cost $15, $20 a head a month with no commitment to try. And if it doesn't work, export your data and move on to the next thing. So taking more baby steps towards down the road without huge amounts of, of, uh, of risk that could bite you. Yeah, those software options can be really expensive. And if people don't get into them and don't use them, it's, uh, it's challenging. And Salesforce in particular requires a ton of customization. So yeah. we had seen... Um, about four years ago, a lot of our partners wanting to do Salesforce integrations and APIs, and then it just never took off within their company. Um, I think that stuff, especially from a sales perspective, is really hard to work into a new process. So trying some yeah. cheaper options <laughs> and seeing where you get is a, is a good thing. Anybody experience the uh, direct correlation between your best performing salesperson and their unwillingness to use the software? So, and what are you going to do about it? Right. So. Redefine performance. <laughs> yeah. We do have someone on our sales team who asks what Salesforce every week at our sales meeting. So. <laughs> He's a great salesperson. Asks what? What is Salesforce? What is? <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. We have one of our um, best salespeople in the room here, and one of our best NetSuite users. So, we, we we're not having that problem so much. Um. Great, thank you. So um, I, I wanted to circle back to something you said earlier, Lamara, about um, just the rate of code changes and technology changes. Um, and, and you're up here representing solar contractors also, so you experience that at the ground level to a degree that um, we might not. Can you say more about how Sunbug has changed to adapt to that rate of change? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure there are other solar contractors in the room, uh, <laughs> so you'll know what that experience is like, at least if you're in Massachusetts, you will. Um, you know, we've experienced two major code changes the, for the National Electrical Code. Uh, we've experienced two major changes in the past 10 years. Um, and the first time around, it was not new to us, but Technology was evolving. Um, there were a lot of new products on the market at the time. We were, I think, four or five years in as a company, and it was, it was new for us. So when we experienced that first code change, we learned a lot of things. We learned that you know, our design practices change, our procurement practices change, sales has to tweak a little bit. Um, and so now in 2019, we're seeing that same thing happen again. Um, 
and we're a little more prepared, right? Like we learned from the first time around that what we need to do to be compliant and we need to make those changes efficiently and quickly um, in order to maintain that business as usual flow. You know, we really don't want to interrupt our installation schedule at all because that's our work. Um, that's how we keep people employed. So we, anytime, like Stephanie was talking earlier, uh, anytime we kind of get a whiff of that level of change, not just a piece of equipment going from you know, a standard inverter to a smaller sized inverter, it's, it's real. It's an industry-wide, na nationwide standard change. So Massachusetts tends to adopt those on the earlier side of things, and our team gets together instantly and we start planning. Um, you know, we have a, a goal, we have a date in mind, we know when we have to make those changes by, and we start working. We, we communicate how we're gonna make those changes happen, um, and we appoint someone to make sure that we reach our goal. Um, we, like I, I mentioned earlier, that flexibility is definitely key. Um, our sales process is really flexible from the get-go, and that trickles through other departments that are tangential to that change. So sales, when they're talking on a commodity level with a customer, they don't promise one product, right? They'll leave a couple options on the table so that when it comes time for me to procure, I'm not scrambling trying to find a product that isn't on the market or might be more expensive than it was when we promised it. Um, I have the kind of ability to choose what's going to be best for that customer at that time. Um, so we try, to, we try to create systems in the company that allow for ease of, and efficiency when anything like that happens in the industry. Yeah, I think the flexibility thing is so key and just recognizing that if you're in a rapidly changing business where you have yeah. to adapt, having the mechanisms to do that, I think it's a great point about the sales process. Yeah. Um, especially here in the Northeast, it's generally 90, maybe more days. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, conditions can change from when a kitchen table sale happens to when panels are going on. When we're installing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just to note, you know, the solar PV industry is very young by any standard. So we, as a solar contractor, we expect frequency of change to be pretty consistent for, the, for our near future and maybe even the long run. Um, we just expect that and we plan for it and put it into our system, so. There were a couple of um, uh, comments you made, Lamar, that I, I'd love to zoom in on more and maybe yeah. um, the other panelists have some input. Um, so, so you appoint someone to make sure you achieve your goal. Um, implies that there's a level of internal project management going on. So hmm. you're, you're managing projects in terms of installation, but I'd love to hear more about how you manage projects inside the organization. Okay, um, so I'm kind of the only person in procurement, but in other departments there are multiple people. Obviously in operations it's not just one person. <laughs> uh, so we have teams of people and, and we kind of know who that change is going to affect the most. So we will pull in our, um, our system designer and we'll pull in you know me, the procurement person, and we'll pull in our master electrician to kind of explain exactly what this change is going to mean for each person. And we'll appoint one person to keep everyone on track. You know, who is going to take the responsibility this time to check in and make sure that that system is, is tweaked by that date and that 
everyone's on the same page when it comes time to implement that change within the company. You train that skill? No, we're, we don't. Um, You're just naturally great at it? You know, we're here talking about company culture. Sunbug is, is really unique, and we're really special in that we trust each other a lot. Um, and we try to give people the tool to step up and maybe be that leader. So we don't necessarily say, you were the leader last time. You're good at it. Let's keep it there. We kind of challenge people to step up and take more responsibility and grow in their profession. Um, you know, we, we trust each other a lot, and we love working for Sunbug, so we all take our work really seriously. Yeah. <laughs> we hit the point um, a couple years ago where we had to have a project manager, finally. Yep. Um, and it was great. We took somebody from our customer service team. Uh, they took a course. A few other people have taken it now, but, um, but it's great because now this person, you know, we're all in a room, and it doesn't matter if you're the CEO or who you right. are. <laughs> yeah. You're, you know, you're staying on track. Um, and we've... We've been dabbling in some software stuff to help with it now too, especially the more complicated things. So we've definitely uh, made some investments, I would say over the last year and a half, two years, software and, and people-wise. Can you share what software you use for project management? <sighs> Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> I can see the logo. Um, <laughs> we played around with Asana. Uh, teamwork. Teamwork. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we use, we use Asana. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just read one comment. There was a terrific uh, podcast, How I Built This, uh, on NPR, and Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia was the guest, and, and uh, he, was, you know, he's a, he was talking about how um, his very uh, removed management style had resulted in this company of people that were so independent that they'd be unemployable any, at any other company. Um, and uh, you know, in our, it, we use, when we're hiring, um, we use we look we search for the figure it out gene, um, which sounds a little That's bit like, yep. like you. And uh, and the and the, the flip the, the sort of maybe the dark side of the figure it out gene is it it may take some pressure off the importance of training, right? So uh, and we we try to balance that. Like people do need to be trained, mm -hmm. um, and yet figure it out is a good gene to have. Can you share more about how you identify that in the interview process? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> hey, all of us. <laughs> um, I, Chris and I did an interview yesterday. I like to pose a real world problem and not ask people for necessarily the solution, but ask them to talk to me about how you would come, a, you know, come to, the, to the process of figuring the problem out. And so, and you know, just to see if they have that capacity to kind of frame up the situation before they start answering the question, right? So, so that's how we, you know, we, we try to ask real world marketing problems and see if people, do they jump to the conclusion like we should do Facebook advertising or do they go back and say, who are we trying to get to? What do those people do? Da, 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 da. So, I'm a huge fan of the situational interview questions. Yeah. I think it really gets out what somebody's thought process is, and I think it's very helpful. Yeah. Stephanie, you said something when we were prepping um, for, for the panel that you touched on briefly in your opening comments about as, as system costs change, the value proposition also changes. Um, I'd love to hear more about that and how you see the value proposition, especially for residential solar, since that's the space we're mostly in. Um, that would yeah. be great. Yeah, so the start of 2018 was really interesting because we had the tariff thing going on. 
Um, solar also entered its first year having to deal with a rising interest rate environment. You know, it was 10 years of, of just no change. Um, and then all the regular real world stuff that goes on, you know, your rent goes up or you have to get new pickup trucks, you have to give raises, all these costs factor in. And I, I think one of the things that's so unique about solar is quite often the sale is the financial value proposition. Um, you know, it's nice every once in a while when we get people who want solar just to have solar, but <laughs> the reality is most kitchen tables, people are looking for monthly savings, they're looking for ROI, um, you have different flavors out there. So as an installer, anytime these costs are changing on you, whether it's an incentive going down or um, you know, seeing different things happening in the finance world, um, costs changing and you know, trying to find the best deal for a customer, um, there's a lot in there and you have to start to figure out that push or pull of, okay, well, you know, if the ITC, for example, is going down 4%, are you changing your value proposition in the field and offering a bit less savings? Are you absorbing that somehow and maybe really diving in on job costing and trying to find other efficiencies? So it's this constant game, uh, you know, with so many things in motion. Um, it's interesting, a few years ago in Long Island, their state subsidized loan went away. Um, it, you know, it did throughout all of New York and you could see a really big impact on sales after that that never really recovered. Um, and I know from talking to our partners at that point, it was a really hard thing of trying to plan um, you know, what to do next and how to train your sales team for that and how to manage a pipeline. Um, you know, thinking fast forward to the end of this year, Obviously, there'll be a sense of urgency for homeowners, and then there'll be some decisions for folks to make. Um, here in Massachusetts, too, on top of it, you're gonna have the SMART incentive declining. Um, there's just a lot to that. Um, and in my experience, the installers who have been the best at navigating that are trying to think through, um, you know, how does the value proposition change or not change? What else do we wanna do um, to manage that? Um, just a quick data point, for most financing uh, options, you know, like a, a 20 year or a 15 year loan, if you, you know, just pass on that 4% less to the homeowner that they're gonna get with the ITC, you're talking a difference in monthly payment of, you know, 10 to $18. Um, and in many states that can actually make a huge difference between a deal penciling for somebody and a deal not penciling. Um, so it's interesting to think about, especially because we know time is gonna go by so fast. Mm -hmm. So very challenging for folks to manage. Um, and we see a lot of it on the finance side with um, people asking us for advice, trying to model things out and plan ahead of, you know, how, it, how are you gonna approach this in the market and deal with it with as minimal interruption to sales as possible. Yeah, I, I know it's early, but can you share more about how contractors are trying to solve that? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think some people are, you know, I think step one is build urgency <laughs> and get as much, uh, you know, homeowner uh, and sales action going as you can in the early parts of the year. Um, we've heard some people really trying to plan out how to uh, have as much capacity towards the end of the year as possible so they can install as much. Um, we've had some partners already asking us to model out monthly payments and to look at different costs. We have a proposal tool that we go through with people. Um, so I think people at a very basic level are trying to figure out how to squeeze as much out of this year as they can. Um, and then to think about 
you know, what is the value proposition to the homeowner? Um, it's so different from area to area. Um, you know, in Massachusetts, 10-year loans are very popular, no surprise. Um, but in Connecticut and many other areas, we see 20-year. So a lot of people are trying to evaluate, you know, is, uh, is the way we approach the homeowner sale going to change? And if so, what direction does it go in? Well, I, it very you have a huge impact on us because you know it's really the cyclicality of a of a typical year's marketing sort of cycle is really different because of you know because of the ex expiring credits. So, so we are you know 100% focused on trying to you know fill 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 that pipeline until it's full, right? And then and then okay, stop. <laughs> um, and uh, and then I think you know preparing for the inevitability that your cost. Uh, the cost squeeze will eventually come down to customer acquisition and say, you know, that that's where we got to make up some ground. So. That is, I would say, the most common phrase we hear every day is cost of acquisition. Yeah. Um, you know, if you are trying to deliver a, a proposition to the homeowner that absorbs that 4% difference and, you know, that stays steady, um, trying to get a hold on that is just hugely important. Yeah. Um, you know, picking the right marketing tools, getting referrals in. Yeah. Um, so we do, I would say we do have a lot of people who are hoping to solve for the problem through controlling their cost of acquisition this year. Yeah, and of course, you know, so uh, it's harder to sell and here's less money to, uh, to do so, right? Mm -hmm. So that becomes the challenge, right? so. From a contractor perspective too, you know, we try to find try to fill that gap elsewhere besides just the sales process. We try to absorb that, um, maybe the difference in margin in a, in a sale and in a build. We try to absorb that in different ways. Like, how can I, can I find something for cheaper? Um, can I buy in bulk, have it in stock, and kind of up allocate it as we need it instead of buying it as a one-off on the go? Um, there are lots of things that I, I personally think about in, in procurement to try to make that margin bigger mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, for all of our sales guys. So it, it definitely happens on the financial and sales end, but in operations, we try to help absorb that, that difference. Yeah. And I think, you know, thinking about the ITC declining, um, you know, going with what you said, it's a great example of a project for a solar installer that you do have to bring in all the departments, your procurement uh, folks, the sales, um, sales and marketing side. It's it's definitely a multi-department yeah. problem to solve. That's a great point, uh, Peter. I'd love to hear more about what um, from a, from a digital marketing consultant standpoint. How are you seeing contractors reframe the value proposition? Um, is that specific to the ITC changing, or are there other things causing them to, to think of the value proposition differently? Yeah, a good question. I mean, clearly the ITC is a, for this year is a big, you know, a big factor that's driving a lot of things. But, um, you know, I would say, you know, we've talked about change here. We haven't talked yet about much change in kind of the internet landscape, right? If anything's changing quickly, it's, the whim of Mother Google to decide, you know, to flip a switch and and something very fundamental kind of changes. Or you know, Facebook. There was this was kind of funny when Facebook got in all that trouble because of Cambridge Analytica. They turned off the ability to target homeowners. 
So because that was an external data source that they, they had. So you couldn't do that. Literally within a week in Google paid search, you suddenly could target homeowners. So, so that's the sort of level of, um, of, of stuff that's out there. Our kind of perspective is that what's uh, healthy, you know, back to the you know, pillars of a healthy business, uh, diversity in the same way that you would think about portfolio diversity of your lead flow is a very, very important. And so, so any companies that you know, may still be holding on to uh, a slice of pie that is you know, north of maybe 40% or 50% of their leads coming from a single source, you're, that's potentially in danger ground. And a lot of companies have relied very exclusively on purchase leads. Uh, for, for a long time and purchase leads are this beautiful thing, right? You wake up in the morning and turn on your computer and they're 23 bucks and you're like, okay, I'll take, you know, I'll take 10 of those. Uh, it, it, A, they seem to be in decline. I'm certainly welcome to hear anybody in the audience wants to say otherwise, but everybody I hear is the quality of those leads is, it, uh, is in decline. And more importantly, uh, you aren't building an asset, right? If the investment of that money into a purchase lead could be put into, let's say, boosting up your organic performance of your website. That organic performance is an asset that your company owns, will, you will own forever, and will continue to produce for you over time, uh, whereas you stop paying for those leads and they're, you know, they're, they're done. So. I want to follow the cost of acquisition thread a little further too. Uh, Stephanie, are, are you seeing residential financing companies doing anything differently, or is there anything coming up on the horizon that helps contractors address that? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's something we focus on so much at SunGage. Um, we actually monitor uh, net promoter scores, which maybe most folks know about. Um, net promoter is really the way to understand how likely homeowners are to refer you. So that's that one where they ask the question of, you know, how likely on a scale of one to 10 are you uh, to refer uh, this experience or product? Um, you know, eight, nine, and 10 is really only when you're, you're getting points. Um, so at SunGage, we actually have an NPS score of 84, um, which that's over a few years. That's, and that's your score. Our score, our score and our uh, partner's score with homeowners. Got it. So we recognized a few years ago that, you know, a financing company could bring a lot of value to installation partners because it's interesting, all the vendors that you have to pick as an installation company, the financing company is the only one that really is in the sale with you in the home. And then on top of it, they're the one interacting with your homeowner every month for 20 years maybe. Um, so we've monitored that really, really closely. And NREL and Green Tech Media had out a couple years ago a study showing that the average NPS score uh, was about a 55 in solar. So we know we're bringing a lot of incremental value there. Um, we do some things for our partners like building referral landing pages and um, offering a lot of training and uh, things like that. We have a lot of um, experience on, the, on our team, which is great. But that NPS score has been really, really reassuring to our partners that they know um, the experience. And on top of it, it's a nice, you know, nice value add um, that your partner is doing that for you. So we've been heavily focused on ensuring that we, um, we offer an improvement on their cost of acquisition for our partners um, and that we definitely don't get in the way <laughs> or cause any damage there. I just want to make sure I understand the implication. So, so the higher NPS score translates to a lower cost of acquisition because referrals are more likely? Exactly, exactly. Um, and with the data that's out there about where solar installers typically land at the 55, we know that combined experience at an 83 
Um, basically, it's saying, you know, eight in 10 people are likely to refer you to somebody, which yep. is pretty strong. Um, it's a great foundation, but harvesting those referrals does take a lot of work. Um, so we're actively investigating ways that we can help with the marketing efforts there, um, you know, whether it's just landing pages and emails or something else, but um, having a really strong referral program is another example of a, a multi-department uh, project at, a, at an installation company to manage. And, you know, if you're thinking ahead and trying to figure out where those extra dollars are gonna come from at the end of the year, it's, it's a great thing to start planning for. Yeah, I, I can add to this. Um, huge fan of the Net Promoter Score, uh, and you know what I—it's th this beautiful single metric, right? You ask this one question, and you get this this score. It to me, it represents you know a singular way to measure how strong is your brand, right? How strong is the brand of your company? And what we see, in addition to improved referrals, which clearly is a benefit, but a strong a company with a strong brand performs better in all forms of digital marketing for the same amount of dollars. And so, so it is, if you, you know, and we look, we, we're very data driven and we look, you know, hard at, you know, cost of acquisition, well, cost of, you know, cost of conversion, conversion on a website all the way through to an actual job. And companies, improve, uh, their performance is massively improved by the strength of brand, and, and we find that Net Promoter is the best way to measure it. It's, a, it's an amorphous thing, right? You guys have a awesome, well-known company, you know, the culture is known, and the worker ownership is known. Those are the kinds of things that are soft and a little bit hard to measure, but I guarantee you, you know, you, I'm sure you do that, you do much better than your competitors. Yeah, we, I was going to piggyback off that. We totally believe in our brand. Um, you know, internally we talk about it all the time. We, we love our logo. I know it sounds so silly, but we, we totally put our logo on everything. Um, and we have a really good repertoire with our customers. Our customers love to work with us. They refer us all the time. A lot of our leads come from our customers referring us to other people and even in a commercial level. It's not just residential either, it's, it's commercially too. So we, we really believe in our brand and we collect data <laughs> on that to, to see what we're doing, you know, maybe not so great at and running with the things that we do really, really well at in marketing. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to go back to um, cost of acquisition, bear with me, just, just one more question on this topic. So, so it seems like over the last two or three years, everybody's been talking about referrals as the way to replace kind of less organic uh, means of generating leads. Is referrals the only thing we have to bridge between buying leads and solar being mainstream so installers' phones will just ring all the time? Or are there other things like referrals that also contributes significantly to reducing customer acquisition cost? Yeah, I guess that's my question. Um, I'd love to hear you. I, I, well, I, I, diversity is our, kind of our watchword, and so uh, we think referrals are a very important part of the mix, um, but you know, so is organic search traffic, so is paid search traffic, so is Facebook, um, uh, you know, a variety of different tactics. I think my particular take on, ref, you know, there's nothing, you know, throughout any home service contracting business, there is nothing as good as word of mouth, right? It, it always will be our very best solution. 
most companies have some kind of a reward, reward system, right? $400, $500 for a sold job. And from a marketing standpoint, that's a beautiful thing because it's pay for performance, right? You don't pay the $500 unless, you know, unless someone buys, so there's not really a lot of risk. Most companies do it. Um, in my view, from the folks that we work with, and that's, you know, it's a lot of companies, but it's not the whole world, um, no, one is take, no one is making referrals work as well as they could. Right? So we kind of hang a web page out there that says, you know, sign up and give me a, give me a couple of referrals. In the little bit of, um, of actual tracking that we're able to do, the number of people making referrals is very, very, very small. The number of people who make more than one is even smaller. And so I think part of our task as an industry is to, you know, is to really gain more leverage. There's obviously some companies out there that provide software to help this process, but that's one of the key focuses for us is to try to make, um, you know, uh, is to try to make the referral channel uh, that much better. Because how do you measure effectiveness? Where should the referrals be in the in the mix? I want them to be you know, 30 to 40% in a perfect world of, of, of overall deals. lead mix. Well, of leads. I'm talking leads, right? And mm -hmm. they're, they're better leads, so they tend to close, you know, they, they tend to close deals. at a higher percentage anyway. So, yeah. but if you, could, if you could get them to that, I, you know, we all talk about referrals as an industry all the time. I think the dirty little secret is, I don't think we're cracking 10%, so. I ask partners all the time, uh, most of the partners that we talk to, it's between 10 and 20. And that's, 20 is really the high end of yeah. the spectrum. And it is a lot to manage. Um, it is, yeah. I, I agree completely. I, I think we talk about referrals a lot. We know that they're, uh, you know, probably the biggest way to chip away at the cost of acquisition issue. But it is, it is a lot to manage. Um, I think having a mix is really important. And I think being able to measure the effectiveness of that stuff um, is, is crucial. We see a lot of times with the paid leads, uh, you know, we can give back data to our partners on what the credit quality looks like. There's often issues there and most people are gonna wanna finance. So, uh, you know, having people who can obtain financing is, is pretty important. Um, but I think measuring is a key thing and having a plan that also makes sense for what you're trying to do for your business. Um, some people are trying to grow year over year. Some people are just trying to maintain and become more profitable, um, and there's different levers that you would pull there, you know, depending on yeah. what your what your goals are. Yeah. Great, thank you. Um, I was going to mention one of the things we see in our organization, and I've I've heard this from some other companies too. Um, I want to go back to digital transformation a little bit. Um, that that digitizing our processes really highlights our cross-functional processes and takes a little attention away from kind of siloed processes and um, puts more focus on where the, the greater complexity is. Um, for us, that's starting to push on our actual organizational structure where we're trying to think about silos less and, um, and other ways of um, how people collaborate are becoming more important. Are you guys seeing that in your organizations or in any of the companies that um, you you work with? You're nodding, Lamara. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. can I jump yeah. on this one? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're seeing that a lot. So um, we're seeing it internally and externally, like at Sunbug, but also with our vendors and our manufacturers and um, just town to town throughout the state, we're seeing a lot of digital transformation. 
So when I started at Sunbug years ago, um, it was a goal of the company to really digitize all of our paperwork. We, it was our goal. We didn't want big files for every customer with printed contract packages and, and all of their procurement information. We didn't want all of that in files anymore physically. So we tweaked our internal company software, right? We were talking about mm -hmm. this earlier, um, to hold all of that information in spots that made sense for everyone in the company to reference if they needed to. So it removes that, that inefficiency of having to go to someone and say, hey, where is this physically? They could just go on the internet and find it where we have it in our company software. Um, and there are a lot of more like user-friendly softwares available to us now, like DocuSign, for instance. So that allows us to engage with the customer over the internet for signable documents. Um, that just wasn't as user-friendly 10 years ago as it is today. Um, so it's really helping us internally change and make things more efficient and streamline our, our processes and, and systems so that we're not scrambling to try to find a document that we needed a week ago. <laughs> um, but externally, we're seeing it too, and I mentioned it's kind of town to town throughout Massachusetts. Um, building departments are allowing us to pull permits online in some towns, um, not everywhere, and it's not every permit. So some towns will allow us to pull an electrical permit, not the building permit. Um, and some towns allow us to pay online now. Some towns still require us to go in person. So we're, we're keeping track of all the peculiarities and making sure we don't miss anything there to cause any inefficiencies. Um, but I'm seeing it in my procurement world too. At Boaz, I know you know um, order management tools are online now, so I don't necessarily have to go to a human anytime I want to place an order. I can go to my online management tool and track everything through that now, whereas you know, six, seven years ago, I was manually sending a PO, receiving confirmation and tracking it with a person I can just do it all, and it's really efficient because I don't have to reach out to anyone and wait for a response. So there are definitely challenges, but in the long run, we see this digital transformation as a massive benefit to everyone that's tangential to the solar PV product. Yeah. It's been really helpful with us, even with training. Mm -hmm. You know, storing videos of training. Um, you know, if you're only bringing on one person at a time, that can be, you know, a lot to manage. Um, we have an internal company wiki, which is great too. So, you know, if somebody has a question about what's on our approved vendor list or what the process is for something, we dump it all into one place, which has been really helpful. Um, we started <coughs> using Slack about a year and a half ago, I'd say. That's also just been really huge for clarity and transparency for us. Um, you know, if people want to see, for example, what's going on with marketing, and they don't want to have to ask somebody because it's really just a curiosity. They can go onto the Slack channel. So that's been a really, really helpful one for us. Are you seeing your email traffic go down as a, as a result of using Slack and internal wikis and things like that? And, and are you liking that? Uh, you know, we are. We use Google Hangouts a lot too. So it's, it's, it's funny, sometimes it's like, should I text or Slack or Gchat? Or, and then it's like a two-minute decision of what's the appropriate. <laughs> so I was laughing about that the other day, trying to figure out how to get a hold of somebody. Um, so email traffic has gone down, but one of the things that um, 
that we, I think we all struggle with, um, I'm sure I'm not alone in this and I know others at my company and I'm guessing people here struggle with this too. When you take things out of email, um, the expectation I think for response time kind of changes. Um, so sometimes I think it's a good and a bad thing. Uh, you know, Slack, Gchat are, are simple and easy. Um, they're very accessible. But at the same time, when somebody sends you that, it's you feel like the clock is ticking and you have to respond. So it's been good and bad, but we have seen email uh, go down a bit. Um, you know, it's interesting. We, we've been trying to figure out at SunGage, we have a lot of tech updates every week. Um, they're not all worthy of a meeting or worthy of a training, but they happen. And people always say, oh, you know, it got buried in my email. Now it's like, well, now it's going to get buried in Slack. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I think the tools are, are helpful, um, and they've been really great with collaboration. But there's also you know, some, some cons to them, too. Yeah, we, I, I would agree 100%. I mean, our email's way down, mm -hmm. uh, you know, except for external communications. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of nice, because it really does sort of isolate you know, extra, you know, the things coming via email are either spam or real world things. And then, you know, and then, but Slack is, is a, a beast that can get out of control pretty, pretty fast, right? So, um, yeah. we just did a channel call a couple months ago. They archived like 30 channels. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful, but it's, uh, yeah. One area where I think Slack has been a game changer for us is um, when we launch a new product feature that is something a little bit bigger where we're actively, you know, we have a launch day and we're marketing it out to our partners and, you know, it's a, it's a bigger launch. We will make a channel specific to that and all of the heads of the departments get on. So tech, sales, marketing, and it's great because as these things go out in the wild and a partner calls and asks something or a question comes up internally, everyone can see the, the live Q&A. So there doesn't become this silo of, oh, well, so-and-so knew that because they walked over and asked somebody. Um, and it's been really helpful for our folks out in the field on launch days too. So um, we've been having really, really great success with it for that. Yep, makes sense. Um, I see we're, um, we have about nine and a half minutes left, so I want to make sure we have time for questions. Um, do we have uh, uh, the magic cube in the back also? Awesome, thank you. Uh, while we're at it, um, I want to thank our volunteers in the back too for your support. Appreciate it. Um, do we have any questions about um, anything we've been talking about? Okay. Uh, did you see one? Yeah, please. Yeah, I'm just curious. Uh, for me, it seems like one of the um, key pillars for a business would be kind of either like employee engagement or you know how happy or, um, your employees are. I'm curious, what are you seeing in your own companies and uh, what are you doing with that? I don't know. Are you tracking it or um, to me that feels like it's got to be a big thing. You should. Great question. question. You want me to jump on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. That's super important. We were talking about this earlier right before we came on stage, too. Um, company culture is totally everything. If you don't have colleagues and employees at your company that are engaged and want to do the best possible job they can do at work, things kind of start falling off the rails, right? Um, so at Sunbug, we are really engaged with each other. We Literally just last Friday, <laughs> we had an after work get together um, just to kind of do a random raffle for some Bruins tickets and 
hang out and have some dinner. Um, we try to do that regularly. We really try to engage people at least once a month to kind of hang out and stay together and talk about things that aren't just work related so that we are on the same level. Uh, we want to come into work every day. We want to do the best we can possibly do. Um, and, you know, hopefully create trusting, last, like long lasting relationships outside of Sunbug too. Um, we, trust is the most important thing. Like you want to rely on sales to do everything correctly so that I and procurement can do everything that I need to do correctly. Um, yeah. I, I think you kind of asked the magic question, which is how do you measure it? And, and I think that's, there's obviously, you know, staff retention and turnover and things like that that are your, that are, they're kind of meat axe measures, right? Like it, it you know. Um, so we, we, I decided that we should become a B corporation because it would codify the kinds of practices that we, you know, that I've always philosophically believed in since I started the company, but we hadn't really codified, right? So, uh, so we started down, and we are still on the B Corp path. <laughs> and uh, um, what what I what what sort of happened in the middle of the process is that you know the, the seriousness of the B Corp stuff, to a certain extent, got replaced by people want to have movie night, you know, and go bowling. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so, which is a little, you know, that was, I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm fully, I'm the, I don't own any pajamas, but, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I was fully in for the, you know, for doing movie night. Um, it just would not have been what I thought, you know, a smart, kind of aggressive, advanced culture would be interested in, and yet people are. It's such a good question. Um, we do a lot of the, the fun stuff too. I think one thing I've seen, uh, we've done really well with treating people right, having the fun stuff. I think sometimes it can be easy to get lost in how much other stuff matters to people too, that you know, they know what their role is, they feel good about it. Um, so we try to balance, and one thing that we do is we actually do a monthly happiness survey. Um, and it's been great. I think one thing that is difficult to manage is people aren't always comfortable giving feedback in the way that you would want it. And you can try to coach to that. You can try to have a really good culture. But at the end of the day, I think it is just human nature that um, sometimes an anonymous forum where you can stop and reflect and write something on a monthly basis is really great. Um, it's given us so much good insight. We we generally get great scores, which is good. We, you know, we keep doing the things that we know are working. But we did have uh, last month a few folks said, "Hey, you know, a couple of these changes that rolled out didn't go well," um, mm -hmm. and we were able to go back and say, "Oh yeah, we deviated from the process that we laid out, and it's important." Um, so that survey has been really helpful for us. Um, I think it's especially been great. You know, I'm on the sales side. I manage folks on the sales team. It helps um, as a director in the company also give me some insight into how the rest of the company is feeling about things that they may not may not speak up about. So it's been a great tool for us. If, if I may um, add a little bit to that question too, um, you can use a net promoter score internally. Also, um, how willing would you be, or how likely would you be to refer a friend to come work at this company? Um, and, and measure, see what changes. Um, there's also a, a really simple survey that Gallup uh, publishes that you can use, um, just copy and paste it and, and use SurveyMonkey to do an internal survey. 
Um, and that can show you which areas of engagement you might be doing better in or not. Um, and it's, it's interesting to hear about all the fun stuff that you guys are doing or, or being arm twisted into doing. Um, I also <laughs> tend to, I, I'd, I'd rather go home and do a solo movie night. That's, that's just how I am. Um, and and uh, I'm, I'm reminded when our company gets together about um, how valuable and important it is to be face-to-face -face and to Lamara's point, to, to build trust with people. Um, but what I tend to gravitate towards in terms of engagement is um, two, two main things. One is uh, people need to feel like they're part of something that's worth doing. So as, um, as, a, as a leader in the business, it's in, incumbent on you or me to try to provide as authentic a vision as possible. And just saying, we're going to um, solar power the whole world might be compelling or it might not, depending on how authentic that is. Um, so it, it's got to be something that comes from the belly of the organization, in my opinion. Um, and, and the other kind of tenet of employee engagement is that um, people, by and large, need to have access to um, coaching that will actually develop them. Um, and when people feel like they're really being invested in in terms of their capabilities, um, then their engagement tends to be very high. Um, it, it, that means it's a safe place for them to make mistakes. It means um, they're going to be given challenges that they weren't necessarily thoroughly trained for. Um, and supported in confronting those challenges. Um, so we do a lot of um, feedback and coaching-oriented stuff in our organization. Everybody in the company has a weekly one-on-one -on -one, um, with, with uh, their manager. Um, and that's where, hopefully, a lot of it uh, bubbles up. And then the project management stuff we were talking about earlier um, is an opportunity for somebody to step outside their normal role. So, so a salesperson, for example, um, can take on a project um, to revamp our pricing structure or something, and they're going to work with procurement and with um, fulfillment and with marketing, all you know, all to to um, flatten out a pretty complex topic, and that's an incredible development opportunity. Any other questions? We have eight seconds. <laughs> thank you, everybody. I want to thank our panel. These guys were awesome. And enjoy the rest of the conference. Yeah.